Hello, and welcome to another episode of CH Network Presents, where we have conversations about all the kinds of questions that people wrestle with when they're exploring the Catholic Church and perhaps wondering if they want to become a part of it. Uh, also, questions that apply to people who are in it and still trying to figure out where the door is. Uh, so I'm Matt Swaim, Outreach Manager for the Coming Home Network. And if you're someone, <clears throat> pardon me, who's dealing with issues like the one we're talking about today, which has to do with preacher's kids, um, please come visit us at chnetwork.org. And especially if you're looking for support from others who are going through or who have been through what you're dealing with, then de definitely check out our online community, <clears throat> which is community.chnetwork.org. Like I say, today we get to talk to a couple of preacher's kids. They've also both been preacher's wives, but we're not going to get into that as much today, I don't think. I want to focus on what it's like to have your daddy be the pastor mm. and uh, how that shaped maybe their ideas about God, even shaped them towards the Catholic Church ultimately. Uh, both Mary Jo Burchard and Denise Bossert have been on the journey home. I encourage you to go check out their stories. Um, Denise does publications and pastoral care for the Coming Home Network, and Mary Jo's husband, Kenny does development for the Coming Home Network, and he'll kill me if I don't tell you that you can support this and other projects of the Coming Home Network by going to chnetwork.org slash donate. Mary Jo's got her own deal going on, but I got to mention that for Kenny. Denise, Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks, Matt. Good to be with you. All right. So um, you both have preacher's kids stories, but neither one of yours is terribly conventional. conventional. So I grew up with um, you know, being pretty good friends with the preacher's kid in, in all the churches that I ever went to, uh, anybody who's, you know, had kids of my age who was a preacher. And I went to Bible college, and there was a realm of stuff going on. There were some preacher's kids who were, like, the most straight-laced kids on campus. The others were like, you want to know where to buy weed? Go to the preacher's kids or the missionary's <laughs> kids. Like, it was, it was a range. Let me just tell you, a range. So I'll start with you, Mary Jo, because I know your dad was a fixer. Um, what kind of preacher's kid situation did you grow up in? That's a great question. I would say it started out uh, with my dad being the dean of men at a Bible college that trained uh, international people that were coming there from all over the world, a place called Christ for the Nations in Dallas. And that kind of was the backdrop for when he went into back into local church because that was during my elementary school years, my early elementary school years. And it really shaped my understanding of God's direct engagement all over the world and just a hunger to see people understand the gospel and just the sacrifice that so many people were making just to have faith. And so my, my perception of what it meant to be a Christian, what it cost to be a Christian, and what it meant to be serious about my faith was shaped by living on that campus and, you know, being around people who had sacrificed everything and were planning on going back into those environments when they had formal training. So when my dad really was missing local church um, context, he had done it before that, but I was younger and wasn't paying as close attention. So being a PK... Uh, starting in the sixth grade in a local church just in suburbia, United States, was really culture shock for me because uh, the expectations and the motivations behind why people wanted to call themselves Christians seemed like a completely different, a completely different context. And so I felt very disoriented um, because I, I couldn't find anybody that I really related to culturally. And, and I also didn't feel like we were talking about the same Christianity anymore. So, and, and he also, he took, as you said, he was a fixer. So he, he tended to take churches that needed our family to come because they were in crisis. Something bad had happened right before we had gotten there. And so the propensity for people to, not trust the church leadership um, and for the likelihood for us to be um, hyper scrutinized was higher because of what they had just experienced. And so, you know, add that layer in and, you know, it was a little, it was a little awkward. I would say the other thing that kind of defined the PK experience in my family is that my parents always said, you know, you have your own spiritual gifts and we expect you to live like you mean it. And so from the time I was a little kid, I was assisting my mom 
in kids' church, and by the time I was in late elementary, I was teaching kids' church, and she was assisting me. Uh, and and I helped on the worship team. And, I, you know, wherever there was a hole, we would just jump in and fill it because when we got there, we could already see people were already hurting. And so we just, that was normal for me. Um, so I would say those are the big pieces that... Um, that stick out to me, that and the fact that we moved so much. You know, if, if I were to stay through a school year, it was really exciting. Um, but I, I didn't ever very often expect to stay more than one school year all the way through. So built into that, almost like a military kid, is the expectation that you're not going to be here longer. So it was almost like um, I had a bucket list mentality. I don't know how long we have. Tell me all your hopes and dreams. You know, <laughs> let's let's do all the things that we can do in this space while yeah. we can, because pretty soon check out all the local restaurants. Anymore. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, yeah. And real quick, before I go to Denise, what denominational world was this? Yeah. So my parents grew up um, in Baptist and Nazarene environments, but then they had what many would call a um, Pentecostal experience, and so. Um, my dad would just say, I'll go anywhere where I can preach the word without compromise, which, uh, again, raises a lot of Catholic questions later. But so, that's going to be extremely important based on a question yes. that I have for both of you later yes. on. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so when, when, uh, when we were at Christ for the Nation, before he was at Christ for the Nations, he was on faculty at a Baptist, uh, Criswell Center for Biblical Studies, which is a very Baptist school. And then he was dean of men at a non-denominational charismatic school. And then we took on, uh, he took a non-denominational church in Idaho and then a Baptist church, uh, that had half charismatics and half diehard, um, Baptists. And both were saying, if you love us, you'll make them leave. You know, um, he, he, uh, I know before when I was younger, he was at a, a, a like a spirit filled Lutheran church, uh, so there, and then Assemblies of God is, I think, where he landed his formal, um, uh, papers, you know, his, 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 his official ordination. <laughs> yes, cred. his official ordination was through Assemblies of God. So, so that's from, the whole bingo card. Um, yeah. you know, yep. I don't think we're missing anything there, except for, I think that actually Denise might fill out a couple that you didn't mention. So, Denise, <laughs> if you could, um, you know, Mention sort of like how uh, your world was shaped and, and what kind of experience you had of being a preacher's kid. So my father was in still in Bible college when I was born. My parents met in Bible college and got married at the end of their freshman year of college. And, um, of course, mom quit then. And I think my dad took a year off right after they got married and she got pregnant and they came back right about the time my sister was born. Um, and then ten and a half months later, I was born. So they had two little girls by the time Dad graduated college. And he was a Wesleyan pastor, uh, Matt, and they didn't require seminary. All they required was Bible college. So then when I was about hmm, three, three and a half, uh, my father took his first parish um, or his first church in the Wesleyan denomination it was a little tiny, uh, rural church in, in Iowa. And, um, that was where I first, you know, was introduced to like the holiness movement. Um, I remember prayer meetings at church, people on their knees praying. Um, and they, you know, they would talk about, you know, backsliding. And I was only like, probably five at the time, but it was a big deal to just really be vigilant about your walk with Christ. Uh, and then dad took another pastorate, and this time it was in um, a college town. And um, the demographic was a little bit different, and um, it was a little bit harder for mom to kind of keep, I don't know, keep tabs on us because kind of kids ran you know, the, the blocks and, um, just played and, uh, it wasn't quite that rural, uh, holiness movement kind of thing. Um, and so it was a little bit harder on the family, I think, especially on mom. Um, and then my grandfather, her father passed away in a farming accident. 
And so my parents stepped away from pastoral ministry to take care of Grandma's farm um, until it could be put up for auction because uh, she couldn't, of course, uh, do the farming herself. Uh, and so during that time, there were two Presbyterian pastors or uh, pastorates uh, that were yoked, and they didn't have a pastor at the time. So my father started just on Sunday. Um, in between, you know, his farming week, he would um, he would fill in the pulpit, and they ended up liking his sermons, I guess, because they asked him to be their pastor. So that was a switch uh, to go from Wesleyan to Presbyterian. And I don't really remember there being a lot about Reformed tradition um, or, you know, the idea of um, what's the cornerstone where, you know, it's like already predetermined whether you're going to heaven or hell. I don't remember any of that, but I do remember it being a little bit more um, close to the early church where we had... We talked about sacraments. Um, we had a confirmation class. We learned the Lord's Prayer, be our Father. Uh, and we learned the Apostles' Creed. So in some ways, it was closer to the early church. Um, I had cousins who were assembly of God, and they eventually went into ministry and married pastors and became missionaries there. So I think the thing that I was really seeing and wrestling with during uh, really the you know K through 12 um, age bracket was that there are so many good things out there in different denominations, but where would you go if you wanted to find all of them in one place? Because, you know, as Mary Jo was saying with, you know, my cousins were, were, uh, charismatic, um, uh, but Presbyterians definitely were not. And although I'm sure there are some that are, but as a denomination, it wasn't. And Wesleyans, I remember my parents saying, that when some people uh, received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were kicked out of the Wesleyan church. And if you, as a pastor, um, became charismatic, you were kicked out of the church. You could not be a, a Wesleyan pastor. So um, there was this definite, where do you go for the sacramental life? What if you want to be charismatic? We didn't hear anything more about the holiness movement as Presbyterians. And so... Yeah, you're left with this, what do I do with all of this? You know, what what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Is it like Marcus Brodi says, like, is it just an inch thick and a mile wide? Or is it deep, deep waters? And um, so those are some things that I struggled with. As far as, I only remember one occasion where somebody really was kind of bullying me for being a preacher's kid. Um, it wasn't really seen as something that was bad. In fact, in the churches, I was used to the red carpet being rolled out for being a pastor's kid. You know, you were like the front of the line or, you know, sitting in the very front of the church. You you kind of almost had a position of honor that you didn't really deserve. But, um, and so that was something that, that certainly changed when I became Catholic. Yeah, so I want to hold a thought that both of you brought up, which is like, what do you make of the fact that you're dads are pastoring all these different denominational contexts and like what are you supposed to do with that but um you know for people who maybe don't um you know because i know there are some lifelong catholics who are probably watching this too and thinking this is like all super weird uh because you know there there's a kind of a movement afoot uh you know it has been for you know decades of like oh priests should be married priests should be allowed to have families and you know i i think that you know there's there's certainly in the in the context that i came from that was like you couldn't really be a good pastor unless you had a family. Like, how, how are you supposed to know how to run a church if you couldn't run a family? I mean, that's kind of the way, the mentality that we came from. Um, but there's a lot of risk that you're taking by hiring a pastor who's on the payroll and a family who is not, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. I wonder, like, for you all, like, what kind of pressure was there to, for you to, like, um, not put your dad's job at risk by your behavior? I mean, Mary Jo, did you ever feel like, um, like you were, or did you even sense the weight of that? I didn't sense it in that way. Um, I, I sensed a definite weight of heaviness that it, I would put it this way. I felt like our family had a different expectation from God on us, a weight that we carried, you know, in, in, um, in Europe, there's this, uh, 
terminology for for the Middle Ages where they would talk about the, or not the Middle Ages really, but like the Georgian period, uh, that sort of thing, where you have the upstairs people and the downstairs people. Um, I felt very much like a servant class person, not a, not a, um, celebrity by any stretch, but very much a servant. It was the expectation, not by my parents, my parents were with it, with me in this, but because I was born into this, um, family, it was, I felt that the weight of the Lord was my, my fellowshipping in his suffering and my, the cross that I carried and I gladly carried it, um, was you get, you get there, you unpack, you roll up your sleeves and you serve hard. Any, any hole you fill, you just fill it. And that is your privilege as a, somebody who is fellowshipping in the suffering of Christ and who loves you know, the children of, of God, you know, and so, so you would, I didn't so you draw felt the line. That, yeah, you would have felt like your vocation was an extension of your father's vocation. Absolutely. I would say it was our family's vocation. Hmm. I felt that, I mean, the way that my parents, from the very youngest that I can even imagine, there, there was very much a, this is your, my dad, I remember, my first Bible that besides the gift and award Bible that you had to have on your school supply list <laughs> was... Um, a Thompson chain, a, a King James Thompson chain. And I knew how to work that thing. And then when I got, I think a, a couple of years later, I got my, my first, I cut my teeth on my first Strong's and Vines. My dad would hold me as a little kid accountable and saying, don't take my word for it. You judge everything that I say by the word. And if I'm, if I'm getting it wrong, you, you challenge me on it and we'll work it out together. That's, I took it very seriously, but looking back, that's a heavy weight to be uh, your own magisterium at eight, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, I, I felt that weight very heavily. And then when I would look around and I would see people who seemed like church was an, an optional extracurricular activity, I didn't know what to do with that. I, you know, so we're ser- serving hard, but it seemed like everyone that we were serving had more of a, um, customer. Uh, mentality than a disciple mentality. Um, and so I, I mean, I remember my, my, uh, even my, my allowance setting much of my allowance and my babysitting money aside to sponsor an organization called Open Doors with Brother Andrew. It was, uh, the suffering church and poor, the only way I could make sense out of what I was seeing was to say, this is an American problem. The world of of the body of Christ isn't like this. People are suffering um, for the gospel and I, I'm just going to pour. So I was constantly, I mean, people called me a crusader and I, and I dressed like a punk. I didn't know how to put it all together, but I mean, I, I had friends on the full spectrum, but I was constantly saying, why don't you act like you, you believe this? Do you believe it for real? Why are you doing this? And so I, well, you'd I seen had too. anger I mean, and frustration and a lot of that, yeah. but I didn't direct it toward, um, I remember in, in, when I was about 14 or 15, um, my dad told me, Joe, you've got so much, uh, pent up frustration and anger in you. Uh, and, and you don't seem like you know, need, you know what to do with it. It's, it's getting between you and your relationship with the Lord. You need to figure out what to do about it. And I didn't, I had to, work hard on it. My dad's um, doctorate is in pastoral counseling, so that was helpful. But it, it was a struggle. It was a lifelong struggle um, to know what to do with people not knowing how to make sense of their faith, how to take it seriously, um, and, and also feeling like our lot in life was to be the ones that got beaten up for it, beaten down for it, move on, and try and clean up another mess. That wasn't going to get cleaned by the time we were gone. Yeah. So I didn't. That's rough. It's a different weight. Well, and it's also, I mean, and you mentioned this earlier, that part of that is born of having seen what the global church looks like and seen people who, for whom the stakes were were a lot higher. But um, when it comes to like living their faith on an everyday basis. But Denise, did you have like, you know, a sense that your life was an extension of your father's? I mean, because I've known families that kind of have it, you know, there's a range of ways that people experience this. Like, were you. Did you feel like you were uh, a supporting ca- cast member, or did you feel like this was part of your vocation? You know, it's it's 
It's interesting because my experience was different, I think, than Mary Jo's. Um, I remember feeling, you know, more like, instead of like the upstairs people, more like the downstairs people in that um, it felt like we, you know, we were to do the special music. We were supposed to, you know, like, I don't know, help the show go on. Not that we felt it was a show, but like that it was what we did. And and if if I can maybe analyze it a little bit, I think it might be because, um, you know, Mary Jo, your family sounds very much like missionary driven. And my family, um, while some went into missions, it, it didn't feel like it was that element of it. It was more like theology. And I would have conversations with my father on where philosophy and theology intersect. So it was more like kind of a, a heady kind of a, a thing. Um, and, and that could be because he changed denominations from Wesleyan to Presbyterian and he went to seminary. So that was during my middle school uh, experience that he was doing that transition. And it was very much part of the conversation at the, the dinner table talking about theological things. So um, uh, it wasn't, in, in fact, when we would have youth group and the youth group was supposed to go and cut the grass, uh, mow the lawn of some elderly lady in the church, and the others in the parish wouldn't show up, you know, my dad would drag us. But it was really about the only time where it was like service-oriented, and I remember not liking to that responsibility of like, okay, I'll do special music, but I don't want to go cut somebody's grass, you know. So, um, yeah, that might be where the tug was, but there wasn't this push to, to service, maybe to help teach with vacation Bible school or something like that. Um, but it was dad's position. He was the pastor. We were the pastor's family and we were in a glass fish bowl. But um, I remember mom saying our expectations of you, we would have even if your father, you know, was a trash collector. This is what we expect of you. But my father never did. In fact, I had kind of an opposite experience uh, uh, from Mary Jo with my father. Um, it was also a loving relationship, but he did not put me on the spot at all with regard to my walk with Christ. I think for dad... Um, his his way of parenting as a pastor was just massive unconditional love. Um, not, I mean, I, I remember getting in trouble. I remember being disciplined by him, but he was much more. You know, let's talk about let's talk about faith and let's talk about theology and philosophy together. And um, you know, just weird conversations like. My my sister went into science, and he was talking with her about science, and she said something. Well, I believe about I believe Adam and Eve. I don't believe this stuff, even though she was feeling attraction to the 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 subject matter of science. And and I remember Dad saying, "Do you know what Adam and Eve looked like?" Just causing us to just think about things um, without telling us really what to think. Um, and so later on with regard to um, coming into the church, it, it felt like an extension of that unconditional love, you know, just following following that thread. Um, so, yeah, it was different, and yet it was kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say I definitely relate to the, the fishbowl, and I, and I have to say I, music was, we had to, we did, we did the special music and the, the share on this or, you know, speak on that, train on this, organ, coordinate that. But even, and it's interesting because music is such an important part of my life, but, um, it almost felt like even after I left home, the way that that whole thing developed because it had the, the lens of servanthood, it felt like I couldn't, like, I wouldn't even think that I was allowed to, by whom I don't know, join a band or, you know, go busking or, you know, any of those things that people that enjoy music would, in, you know, think about doing because I only thought of it as, it was like there was a plexiglass thing around me that said, you're relegated 
to using this only to serve and serve meant very, something very narrow. And my parent, my dad and I, um, probably have had some of the deepest theological and philosophical conversations of anybody, but it was always in motion. You know, I feel like we had people in our home. A lot. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, uh, we lived on a corner and I think every once a week we had uh, Bible studies and, and then twice a week we had prayer meetings or something like that. It was like three days a week. We had tons of people in our house. And so the whole area would have cars. And I remember somebody in the neighborhood saying, Oh, you live on the house that has all the parties. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Oh, I, I, it just shocked me because, you know, what you live through becomes your normal and you don't really think about yeah. how unusual it is to constantly have people constantly be hosting, constantly be giving, constantly be serving and always being on in that, in that space. It didn't feel like, uh, like I was being whiplashed or anything, but I, I it just felt like, yeah, I, that was, that was life. That was what I was born into and what I got to do, even though it was hard, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And, uh, you know, I think all of us kind of have our own little world in which we grow up and we don't realize that it's like strange until we get out. And, you know, maybe it wasn't even that strange, but we don't realize that it's an experience that's different than what other people have been, been having till you, till you get out of it. But uh, one of the things that is, I think, unique to both of your experiences is because you saw you didn't see some people church shop and they bounce from denomination to denomination and they and they see the different flavors of Christianity, but they see it from a consumer side. They see it from a I'll decide whether I want to go to this church or not. Like you guys didn't get to decide which church you went to, right? <laughs> you 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 were you were dialed in a thousand percent on whatever church your dad had a job at. So mm-hmm. that was the option. Your pastor, your dad was always your pastor. You didn't like you can be like I don't like this pastor. I'm going to move on, right? <laughs> you didn't have that option. So. um but as a result, you had, in both of your cases, uh, dads who were pastors who weren't just like, well, this is the denominational line, so we're just going to stick with it. These were men who wanted to like know God. They wanted to know his heart. They wanted to know you know, how to better communicate Christ to the people they were serving. So in that, you got a realm of denominations in both of your backgrounds. So for you, um, how did that world start steering you, or, or, or did did you even realize it was steering you towards asking the kind of questions that would lead you towards Catholicism? Denise, I'll start, I'll start with you on this because um, I know you've shared with this at length um, in a couple of different contexts. Right. Um, well, one of the first things I think that it, it formed me as is you were formed to be a pastor's wife. I mean, without the words being said, that felt comfortable. Being in the pastor's family was like, your identity, um, being someone who got up and spoke and led, that felt familiar, um, which then as, af- after I became a convert and a writer and, and then, you know, speaking and sharing my conversion story, uh, that felt, that felt normal, you know, where Catholics, cradle Catholics would be like, how, do, how do you, how can you get up and do that? How can you get up and be, like evangelize. Like, like I've been doing this since I was five. What are you talking about? Right. I didn't know how not to. It's just who I am. But um, so I think that there were gifts there that made it um, made it. Uh, what then happened afterwards with with being a convert made it uh, fit well. It just made it. Um, I know how to do this. And if there are others who don't know how to do this, I, I do know how to do this. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think the other thing though is it doesn't, it doesn't set you up for too many questions because you really, you really are what your father is. And I remember sometimes saying to him, and I don't remember which parish he was in, but saying, it just seems like it's sort sort of dry, and our cousins who are Assembly of God, they just had these vibrant youth group uh, meetings and stuff like that that we would you know go to when we visited them. 
And I remember, like, why why is our youth group just so blah, you know, like as Presbyterians or whatever? And I remember Dad say, grow where you're planted. So in a way, it was like until I became a grown-up, and I even attaching to someone who then became a pastor means I, I didn't really have, um, like, was, wasn't even steering my own ship even then. Um, but you didn't really have a choice like others do where like they can church hop and they can find a church that fits well and they can ask themselves these questions in a way you are kind of, you are, it's set, you know, what your denomination is. So I don't know. There, there really weren't questions in there until the big question came and we're not quite ready for that. So I kind of just went with the flow. Right, and uh, you've shared if if nobody's had a chance to see, you know how the question of of suffering, especially, played into your um, journey. I encourage you to go back and see the Deep in Christ episodes. There's a three part series that you did with John Mark Grodi on just how big that question was uh, in your search. But um, Mary Jo, I'm wondering, like in in the case of your bouncing from denomination to denomination, I mean, one of the things that people come to us all the time with is like this question of soul scriptura, like how are all these people who are reading the same book that I'm reading, um, who are praying to the Holy Spirit the same way I'm praying to the Holy Spirit, how are they coming up with like something slightly different here and slightly different here? Like, was, were you conscious of that at all? Or was that oh. in the background or? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even just denomination to denomination within one community. It was state to state and region to region, culture to culture to culture, so there was so much upheaval that really the only uh, two, I would say, threads that were a constant in my life were my my nuclear family and my my <laughs> I know it's overused, but my personal connection to a living Savior. You know, and I actually had a dream that. Um, there was just chaos and like tornado hurricane kind of level winds. And I couldn't see anything almost like the on, uh, uh, over the rainbow. What is that show? Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. You know, yes. When she go. hits her head and you see all the things, you know, the cow floats by and the, it was kind of like that. But all I could see were the eyes of Jesus saying, not even with words, but just stay right here, you know? And, so for me, my normal was stay connected to Jesus and watch your heart. Uh, not don't, don't let it get hardened or bitter. Just keep doing the best that you can to stay forgiving and do your best to own what you can. Um, and so I had, I was flooded with questions all the time and I spent a lot of time with, with my dad trying to work out my theological issues, my, because on top of the church reality, depending on whether we were in inner city or, you know, we were in a place that didn't have good schools. Both my parents were also educators. My mom was a credentialed teacher. My dad was a school administrator and a school counselor as well. So they would assess the school district. And if it didn't look like it was going to be good, we would either homeschool or we would be in the public school. So you add that layer in, um, and so Christian schools of different, vastly different denominations from what my dad would ever pastor, I was exposed to, um, on a day to day basis in some ways more intimately than, you know, where I was a pastor's kid, you know, and so having that constant culture shock. And so how did it shape me? I would say the, one of the biggest things that I did throughout my, my childhood was kind of almost idealize I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a warrior for Christ. I'm going to be, I'm, if I'm the only one, I'm going to be the only one who doesn't bow. You know, I'm going to be, um, the one who goes to where nobody else goes. I'll, I'll, you know, be a missionary in the deepest, darkest cannibal, whatever, you know, the through gates of splendor kind of, I'm going to do whatever the hard thing is. I want to do that. And I'm going to find the other serious people who, who want to do that. So that was kind of like my mental escape is, how can I take this as seriously as I can? Um, and, and so I lived in a state of rumble. Um, when I was in my 
early 40s or late 30s, I read, it was the first time that I read a book called um, Third Culture Kids. And it's about kids who live in another country. And so there's the country, there's the culture of the country, there's the culture of the nuclear family. And the third culture is this culture that's this amalgamation of that, that straddling place. And I wept because it was the first time that I felt like I had a word to set on my experience. And my first culture was a nebulous, but still there were constants church culture. And that was my first culture. And then my second culture was the region, the denomination, you know, all of that stuff that was constantly in flux. And so my mandate, my dictate was whatever I do, whatever is in flux, which is most things, I have to be grounded in what I know God knows about me, how he sees me, and make sure that I am at least doing the best that I can to be a, I don't know, a warrior or a contender for the truth um, in a way that doesn't make me bitter. That was tricky. <laughs> hey, but that was, you don't have to tell me the, this. I, I was in the Christian punk and metal world. Like, this is all like... I mean that's what that's the rage we were dealing with. Uh, right. So I mean, you don't got you don't got to explain that to me. I mean because yeah. we we're like, why is nobody taking this seriously but us? That was kind of our right. mentality. Yeah, which um, is why I dabbled in that area too. You know, so we could yeah. probably talk bands. From well, back see, then. that's another epi- yeah. on an on an upcoming episode of CH Network <laughs> presents. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that and <laughs> uh, and figure out you know some more of you know, sort of the, the punk rock nuance. But I've got um, kind of a closing question, and it's really. So, so I wish we had, I mean, like I say, I, I could ask you guys about this stuff for about two more hours, but I have sort of a, a two-part question that I want to sort of get in um, before we go. And it has to do with this. Um, it has to do with the question of going from the head of the church being your dad to the head of the church being the Pope. <laughs> so it's uh, wrapped up in that is, is, I think, probably, you know, kind of how you had to deal with going from the local the local to the church, to the church universal. But in that too, like, and, and don't feel pressure to share any more personally than you feel comfortable with, but is there a sense by like shifting from the authority of like the church that your dad was in to this universal church? Like, is there an excitement of going to something that's like solid and real and global? Or is there a fear associated with that? And in that, is there a fear associated with, will I... I'm like betraying in some sense this thing that I was given, this thing that I was built to be. Um, Denise, I know you shared at length about this question and, and you've had some of these kinds of conversations more publicly. I, did you have any thoughts on that? I think this is one of the most um, meaty questions that I think uh, someone who was in a pastor's family can, can, um, wrestle with is the legacy question. Um, in part, I think, um, I was, I was made for this and I was formed for this because we were, I think the foundational thing was wherever Jesus leads you, you must go. And even though the family, um, by then my father was already deceased. And it was his suffering that was my question that led me into the church. Um, so he wasn't there to talk to. And in a way that was, I think, a necessary part of my journey because he was like my pope. So I would have gone to him to talk and, 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 you know, have those theological discussions. So he had to be removed in order for me to have this void where I would wrestle with theology and, and be willing to move into a different space and place. Um, and my mother, of course, did not understand what I was doing. My siblings did not understand. But I think the thing that dad had left me with, the, the legacy question that was the most important um, was wherever Jesus leads you, you must go. And if you do not do that, um, even though you are convicted that this is what you need to do, then that is that is a disobedience. Um, so I was, I think, prepared to do that. And um, as I started to uncover it, the hardest thing for me uh, was Mary, especially the Immaculate Conception, because my father had wrestled with that in seminary. 
And he probably would have become Catholic except for that one thing. So I needed a really big movement of grace in order to receive that and accept that. But I think that the best way to answer the legacy question is the legacy that you are given as a pastor's kid or someone in a pastor's family is where Christ leads you, you must go. And that was the ultimate. And it still is, still gives me shivers because Jesus Christ is here in the Eucharist. I will not go anywhere else because he is everything to me and has been since I was a very little girl. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Joe, I'm, again, I asked like one of those like hardcore, deeply personal questions. So feel free to go as, as into it or not into it as you feel comfortable. But I, this, I think this really is, you know, because there are, there are preachers, kids watching this right now who are at this crossroads and yeah. uh, they kind of want to sort, sort of hear probably the answer. This is probably the question that's at the back of their minds um, underneath all of it. Yeah. And adding a layer in my family, my, my, nuclear family was not the only family in my family that was clergy. In fact, my mother's, uh, br- two of my mother's brothers were also pastors, and um, the brother that wasn't had kids who were, and my, da- my dad's sister was married to a pastor, and it was like Going to either side of the family was like going to a pastor's conference. Um, and so I am the only Catholic on either side of the family, I mean, biologically linked to this either side. It was a big, big deal, that whole idea of, and me not wanting to tell my parents initially the rumble that we were going through because I didn't want them at all to feel that, uh, I was leaving the faith that they poured into me. I was going deeper. And I was so grateful that when I, when I contacted my mom, exactly what Denise said, my mom was, I just think, anointed by the Lord. She said, Joe, this is all about mission. She said, the earth, the Bible says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the, like the waters cover the sea. How could that happen without the Catholics? They're everywhere. And she said, if God is calling you in, you have to go all the way in. And she said, in the words of Mary, do whatever he tells you. She, she had no idea the, the depth of prophetic power those words had, you know, but, um, I remember uh, learning, uh, about the viaticum, you know, and the, 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 the final, uh, Eucharist that one takes to cross over. And, and when, when, um, our priest was talking about the viaticum the first time, he was, he, it was during the reading of, um, people in the desert, uh, wandering in the desert and, and what is manna called, but what is it, right? What is it? And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And while all of that was, um, happening, I, I had a flashback to my childhood. What felt like, a wandering, you know, there was no, this is the, the one true, other than Jesus, you know, other than the essentials, there was no, it was a wandering and looking around and seeing just, it was like snow coming down. It was all Christ. It was all Christ coming down with me saying, what is it? What is it? What is it? Christ was pulling me into himself and saying, yes, you are called, not the way that you, uh, you know, because my great lament was, if we all love Jesus, why can't we all just, we all talk about unity in the essentials and liberty in the unessentials and, and all things charity, but nobody agrees on what, what category to put everything in. We, we're lost, you know, and, and so to have a true north and to have a standard, and I remember lamenting so many times, um, when we were leaving another church saying, oh, if only we had a the church in Ephesus, a the church in the church in, but instead we have all these fracture giving birth to fracture and, and to learn that that didn't have to be and that, that Jesus was pulling me into a true north and a conversation that wasn't going to eliminate division and confusion and sin, but it gave me a new thing to do, a new way to map out whatever was going on by a standard that wasn't shifting with the wind um, was so incredibly, 
I think that was the, the, the greatest relief of coming home. However, incredibly disorienting it was to learn a whole new vocabulary, a whole new definition of words that I was teaching, you know, it was like, um, the ultimate, here's your new place. You are now the tour guide and you don't know the language yet and you don't know the culture, but you are now the tour guide. Uh, and there was still such a deep relief because there was a true north. There was a compared to what? There was a who gets to say. For the first time in my life, I thought I can, I had to go through the rumble of Mary too. I had to deeply rumble, but I thought there is an answer. And I, and I was also deeply, deeply you know, one of the things, being a scholar myself, I couldn't stop asking the questions until I had a PhD in ecclesial leadership, you know. Um, and that's one of the things that brought me home. But I have scholar friends who say, well, what do you do when you disagree with the church? And my first response is, I assume I don't have the, the, all the answers anymore. And I, I, I want to convert their little voice into, say, you know, because the the comfort is I am now plunged into the global church in a new way and the ancient faith in an unbroken conversation. So obviously I'm missing stuff. I start with the assumption that I'm missing stuff. So I don't have to start with, well, I have, I've, I've read, so therefore I can stand over this universe of knowledge that I just got here for, you know. Um, and so that's deeply relieving to me. Those are the big things that, that I d- so profoundly embrace that I could never, ever not be Catholic now. Matt, yeah, I got into that. So, yeah, just go ahead. With one, one um, thought. I think with regard to the legacy question, one of the things that began to really resonate with me when I first became Catholic was the reality that If you go back far enough in any of our families, whether or not we have lots of missionaries or pastors in our families, if we go back far enough, we are either pagan or we're Catholic. So so the legacy question is, I have joined the legacy of my family. I don't know how far back, but it is not abandoning any legacy at all, but it's reclaiming a legacy um, of a church history that had been lost in in the Reformation. And thanks be to God, um, I didn't lose anything. I gained everything in all of the treasure chests um, of all of the de- denominations that really go back to the full treasure chest of the Catholic Church. I love that. I love that. And I would add one thing, and that is because we moved so much, we didn't have a deep we had a love for, but not a deep connection and hangout connection with any of my extended family growing up. And the local church was constantly moving. And so it felt like we were always on the outside trying to make our way in and being plunged, plunged into the legacy of the Catholic church. I, in such a deep sense, I feel like I am home anywhere in the world. When I go to the Basilica in DC, when I go to, you know, the Spanish missions in California. I walk in and I'm like, welcome to my home. This is, let me show you around. I don't even have to have been there before, but I know now how to show people this legacy that is now mine, you know, mm-hmm. and that is so meaningful to someone who always felt like a nomad, always felt like I didn't get to have roots, you know, and that was a sacrifice that I would just give up to the Lord. It's like that hunger is satisfied by plunging myself into the family of God, being in Christ, the communion of the saints has never been more precious to me. No, oh, I'm 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 with you a thousand percent. And even even non preachers kids can get that, right? You yeah. know, uh, you anybody who's bounced around denominations and, you know, has ever been in that situation where you talk to somebody, you know, on an airplane and they're like, I'm a Christian, and then you in the back of your mind you're like yeah, but what kind? Right. You know, like, <laughs> you know sure. uh, but sure. whereas, you know, I was on an airplane coming home, you know, a couple of days ago and the the flight attendant's walking down and she's got a cross and I can tell it's flipped around so I can't see what it is, but it's some sort of a metal. And I'm just like, what's up? You know, it's like, that's my tribe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, these are my people. Like, I don't even have to, to, to know. It's like, and there's a billion of us. So we're to varying degrees, you know, working on this and, you know, holiness is a 
along a continuum. But you know, it's it, you're you're part of something. I don't have to say what I'm going like you're saying, uh, Mary Jo. Like when you go from town to town, you don't have to say, "Well, let's try out a few churches to see which one works." You're like, "I know which <laughs> one's mine. I know which one of these shoot. is my church." You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, going. You don't know just even like okay, it's we're gonna go to the vineyard or whatever. We're gonna go to Foursquare. We're gonna. You never know really what you're gonna get. With the Catholic Church, you know the Mass is the Mass. And, you know, there's just, there's so much. It may be a, a poorly executed one, but it's the Mass, right? You so know, it is what it you is. You can get, you know you're going to get certain things. You're going to get Scripture. You're going to get the Eucharist, the living presence of Jesus. You're going to get, you're going to be, and you're going to experience it with your family, even if you haven't met. That's huge. Well, this has been some extraordinary baggage to air for the whole world to see uh, between the two of you as preacher's kids. And uh, again, we didn't even get into the, the, the preacher spouse thing, which um, is a whole other conversation that requires its whole other like set of situations and questions. But hopefully, if there's somebody listening right now who grew up in a missionary family or, you know, a, a family that was in ministry or even like, you know, a family where the, you know, the, the parents were professors at a you know, evangelical mm. college or something like that. I mean, this this applies in a whole bunch of different circumstances and situations. And if that's you, um, then please reach out to us at the Coming Home Network. Um, we know people who have been through what you're working on right now. And uh, some of them are us. So um, <laughs> chnetwork.org. And then if you want to plug in and, and be involved with the online community where uh, people are actively in a social network um, chewing on these questions, that's community.chnetwork.org. Um and again, thank you so much, Denise Bossert, Mary Jo Burchard. Um, I encourage people to go check out your Journey Home episodes because we didn't even really get into the full reasons as to why you became Catholic. We just kind of got into the stuff that you dealt with as you were becoming Catholic. So uh, definitely go check out those Journey Home episodes and find out more. Thanks so much, Denise and Mary Jo. Have a wonderful day. Me too. Thank you. Bye. And thank you for joining us on this episode of CH Network Presents. Look forward to checking in with you again uh, here next time around.